you got this job, 35 years old. What was going through your mind when you got that call officially offering you the job? You know, you never think that your first job as a head coach could also be your last job as a head coach, <laughs> right? And for me, it's just, you know, the excitement of knowing, like, no, this is a top 10 team. This yeah. is, like, the best of the best. How did you make a name for yourself as a GA? You know, I, this has really been for me in every role that I've ever been. I try to be the absolute – one, it's a competition every day when I walked in the building, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it didn't matter what role I was in. I wanted to make sure that I was the best one in that role compar comparative to everybody else in that role. Mm -hmm. And what you find is everybody wants to game plan. Everybody wants to watch film. But there's not that many guys that want to pour a cup of coffee. I want to ask about this season a little bit. You, you guys are rolling right now, feeling good. A lot of talk about Oregon and what you guys are doing. What's maybe – the couple areas you still want to see this team improve? I want to be a team that finishes and wins in the fourth quarter. That's something that we really assessed, you know, in the offseason for us last year. We had, we had some tight games that we can, you know, a couple that we came out on top of, but a couple we didn't. So being a team that finishes in the fourth, um, but it's maintaining that consistency. We, we studied the book Good to Great this offseason, and one of the, the things that we've talked about a lot is that 20-mile march. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to get up and walk 100 miles today. We just need to walk 20, and then we yeah. got to do it again tomorrow even when we don't feel like it. Four gets to win a national championship which I know is your goal. What are the one or two things that still need to happen? What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Next Up podcast. I'm Adam Brenneman. This is the podcast where we tell the biggest stories in college football with the biggest names in college football. It's college football content you can't get anywhere else. And today's episode is a special one with one of the hottest and biggest names in the sport right now, Oregon head coach Dan Lanning. Coach Lanning's story is remarkable. He's come such a long way, grinded it out early in his career, has been through ups and downs, some adversity, which we talk about really just eight, eight or some years ago. He was a graduate assistant, not making any money. Now the head coach at Oregon. I think Oregon's one of the top programs in the country. Have a chance to make the college football playoff. Before we talk to Coach Lanning, please subscribe to this channel if you're watching on YouTube. If you're on Spotify or Apple or audio, leave us a review. Share this with, with one of your friends, somebody you know. This is the podcast. If you're a college football fan, this is the podcast you need to be listening to. We got some great content coming up in the future, but today's episode is one of my favorite ones I've done. Oregon head coach, Dan Lanning. Let's go talk to coach. Next up. Before we get to the pod, I got to tell you guys about our newest sponsor of the Next Up podcast, Prize Picks. Man, I love Prize picks. I've been looking so long for the best way to fire on sports, to make money on sports, and prize picks is the answer. I, I fire on prize picks literally every time there's a college football game or an NFL game. It is the best app out there. Prize picks is a little different than what you're used to when you fire on sports. On prize picks, you pick players instead of teams. So every player has a set stat projection for each game. So say it's Jared Goff, and then there's a number. So Jared Goff. 250 yards passing you pick higher or lower than that stat projection and if you're right you win money it's it's that easy so if you know ball if you know players you can make tons of bread on prize picks supporting our sponsors helps support this podcast helps me have on big time guests use my promo code next up when you download the prize picks app or click that link in the description that's code next up for a 100 deposit match up to 100 dollars so you can use that 100 bucks to fire on sports. That's code next up, or click the link in the description to get there easily. Code next up for 100% deposit match up to $100. Before we get back to the podcast, I'll tell you all about our newest sponsor of the Next Up podcast, Modern Mammals. You guys know I only want to promote and allow things to sponsor the podcast that I actually use. That's why I'm so fired up for Modern Mammals to be sponsoring the pod. Here's a story. About a year ago, I started noticing my hair was, wasn't feeling great, felt dry, just didn't feel super healthy. I did a bunch of research around what I was using and putting in my hair with shampoo and realized what I was using was terrible for my hair. Shampoo is not good for your hair. That's when I came across Modern Mammals. It's a replacement for shampoo. So you can wash your hair, clean out all the oils without damaging your hair like shampoo does. I now use Modern Mammals every day. After I work out, use Modern Mammals in the shower. No more shampoo, completely cut out of my life. And my hair has never felt healthier or looked better. At least that's what my mom and grandma told me. So it's time you get rid of shampoo and go to modernmammals.com. Use my promo code ADAMB for free shipping at checkout. Get yourself some Modern Mammals today and get your hair healthier than it's ever been before. Modernmammals.com, promo code ADAMB at checkout for free shipping. And guys, supporting my sponsor supports the podcast, supports me, allows me to keep doing this. So please go support Modern Mammals at modernmammals.com, promo code ADAMB. There he is. 
How are we doing? You're good, man. You're good. That goes. Yeah. Uh, power hour. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Power hour action. Trying to get them liked up. What's up, brother? Dan. Thomas, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Thomas. So where are you off to next? We. Uh, I got a. Uh, Nothing. I'm not calling a game this week, and then I got I got army army game uh, on CBS next week. Okay. So I got yeah, West Point. Are you yeah. enjoying uh, calling them? I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, it's a different world, man. It's like you got producers talking in your ear. Like, that's yeah. the part that people don't realize. Yeah, they always they, they always tell me that. You know, you're, the hard part is you gotta like talk to the people like my mom watching the game who doesn't understand football. So yeah. if I'm like, you know, my first game, I'm like. You know, they bring, it's cover four, so it plays out like man. And I was like, they don't know what cover four is, man. Right, like, you know what right. I'm you can't be like, they're running duo right here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been good, though. It's been fun. Yeah, I think. I'll spend it for you today. Yeah, I mean, I hope you got to see what you wanted to see. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Uh, Have you been here before? It was great. Never been there. No. I was at, I've been to uh, Portland for the opening. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like I, I thought that was here, and I was like, "Oh, I've been here for the opening." A couple people were like, "No, that was that's not here." Yeah, that's, that's Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, it's been good though. This has been great. What's crazy is how, uh, like how much better this is about to be. Yeah. Like, did you see the new facility? Right. Like, yeah. In unbelievable. Yeah. Like unbelievable yeah. setup, which they'll break ground in February. Do you think you guys need a new facility? <laughs> I think so, I think so, man. Yeah. I mean, why not make it better? Yeah. Right. No, so, yeah. yeah, that's the one thing that's pretty cool about this place is. You know, anything that's kind of the standard, they want to reestablish the standard, yeah. you know, and it's for what, since 2012 is when this was built. Yeah. I mean, everybody's kind of used this as the marking point of yeah. where, hey, we need to go visit Oregon. We're about to build a new facility. So they've yeah. come here and seen it. And now we're like, OK, let's re-up again, yeah. you know, and yeah. this next one will be I mean, this is unbelievable now. But this next yeah. one, it's like three hundred million dollars for yeah. In indoor. Yeah. For indoor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Alex, how are we doing? We good? Ready to roll. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I'm excited to, excited to talk. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. So yeah, no, glad it worked out. Yeah, I appreciate you having us out. Um, I wanted to start with, uh, well, there's a lot I want to talk about, but I want to start with this. You got this job, 35 years old, working your whole career probably to be a head coach with that goal. What was going through your mind when you got that call officially offering you the job? You know, you never think that your first job as a head coach could also be your last job as a head coach, right? And for me, it's just, you know, the excitement of knowing like, no, this is a top 10 team. This is like the best of the best and blessed and fortunate. I've been around a lot of great coaches. I've got to work for a lot of great coaches, but for this to be my first opportunity, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be in this set. Yeah. What was it about, you know, when they offered the job? I'm sure there are a lot of opportunities that came up over the last few years. You were becoming a big name in college football. What was it about this place from an alignment standpoint or just knowing, like you said, that this could be a last job that made this the place you wanted to take? Yeah, I think, you know, innovation. When I think of Oregon, I think of innovation, yeah. right? I think about being on the cutting edge. And as you know, college football has changed so much in the last three years. Yeah. Um, last 10 years that I always felt like they were going to be ahead of the curve, yeah. right? They were always going to have a plan for what's next, what's, you know, how do you adapt? And I remember being a GA at Arizona State and we played against yeah. Marcus Mariota at, in Oregon and what, you know, what that meant. You yeah. know, my first time ever being here was when I landed here on the plane. I'd never yeah. been here. Um, but I knew from afar, like that's, you know, what, what Oregon was and was become. And then when you figure out the support that exists for the program, the alignment with the administration, like the, the narrow, um, you know, single vision of where, where it's headed, like yeah. everything kind of, every box checked. And then maybe most important for me is I wanted to be somewhere where I was excited to raise my family. And, yeah. you know, you move a bunch as a coach. So getting to be somewhere you can say I can be here for forever. Like that's, that's what made this yeah. place check. Yeah. Take me through the process of once you get the job, first time head coach, all the things that, that's what the fans don't always realize, like the whirlwind of trying to retain the roster, trying to hire staff, trying to figure out like, Who's committed? Who's not? Like what? Like, yeah. What was that like? The first what was it forty eight seventy two week of the, on the job? Yeah, you're yeah. drinking out of a fire hose. Like it's nonstop. And for me, at least, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I I accepted the job, but I was in Georgia, Georgia. Yeah. and we had we were about to go play in the Orange Bowl against Michigan. You know, I wanted to you know finish the job, and that was one thing I was really grateful for for our administration to give me the opportunity to still finish, mm -hmm. um, you know, the job there at, at Georgia. So. You know, I was, I flew out here, accepted the job, kind of did a press conference, and I turned around and flew back. I met with as many players as I could, you know, yeah. in 24 hours. Um, and then you're really working the phone. So I would get up and do Georgia from, you know, 5 or 6 a.m. In, in the morning till 6 at night, getting ready for the Orange Bowl and the national championship game. And then 6 at night, well, it was, 
you know, it's only three o'clock yeah. out here. So I'd start Good. working, <laughs> I'd start working on Oregon and yeah. we did, you know, Zooms. I really had an idea, you know, ever since I was um, a GA in 2012 at Arizona State, I started making a list of potential coaching hires. I have it saved <laughs> in my phone. It's like every elite coach I've ever been around, like, oh, that's a guy I'd want to hire. Yeah. You know, the difference is I thought I'd be hiring at Eastgate Middle School. Right. But when you get to, to Oregon, you can go hire anyone you want. Yeah. So that list, that's really where it started. I hired a lot of guys uh, off that list. And there was a couple of positions I wanted to, you know, figure out, you know, some pieces. But, you know, retention's really, you know, that's hard to figure out. And we've had a lot of roster turnover, um, you know, but that's also the reality now of college sports. So you have to hire great people around you that have the same vision as you and understand yeah. exactly what you're looking for to accomplish what you need to in that, you know, those first yeah. 48 weeks. Yeah, you, you just mentioned preparing from the time you were a GA to when you're going to be in, that, in those shoes, making those hires. What was the one thing that <clears throat> when you became a head coach that maybe, I don't want to say you weren't prepared for, but that surprised you or that you were like, man, you, you can only prepare so much until you're actually in the shoes. What was that one thing that? For me, it's time, yeah. right? There's the things you fell in love doing, you know, the things you fell in love doing as a coach. Like I always love, you know, coordinating a defense. I always yeah. loved um, watching film and prep. But what, what you realize once you become the head coach is as soon as you walk in the building, somebody's knocking at your door saying, hey, coach, how do you want this done? How do you want yeah. that done? And you learn to really appreciate people that take the bull by the horns and figure it out. And um, sometimes it's not done exactly how you want it, but you appreciate the fact that they made the effort to do that. Yeah. Um, but managing your time is by far the biggest piece because it's not your time anymore. It's everybody else's yeah. time. Yeah. Was there anything when you got here that – you noticed around the program or anything from personnel facility that you wanted to fix right away or you wanted to change right away? There were some things we really wanted to attack, you know, um, and I'm grateful again that here they were willing to, you know, make some, uh, you know, some changes, right? We went, we went to go hire the absolute best of the best. There weren't really, you know, limitations when it came to that. We knew we wanted to enhance our nutrition program and that's really gone to another level. Um, you know, the innovation of us building new facilities as we move forward, you know, we have some new projects that we're, you know, piecing together that I think puts us again at the cutting edge and at the lead in college football. I, I want to dive into your journey to get to this point a little bit. It's, it's interesting. Like it's not traditional, a lot of twists and turns in it. Um, what was the point when it all started that you knew you wanted to be a football coach? So I've always known I wanted to coach, yeah. you know, I, I was the guy that kind of grew up loving basketball as a kid. I wanted to go play, um, you know, with the Orlando Magic, like me, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, like that was And then somewhere right around seventh grade, you know, I kind of pieced together, okay, I don't think this is going to happen. Like I'm the good self -awareness. I'm, not, I'm not the best uh, basketball player in Richmond, Missouri, you know, where I graduated 92 people. So uh, I got to re reset. And I had a PE teacher, his name was Ken Simmons in middle school, and he just made like PE was obviously my favorite subject, but he made every single day a competition. He made it so fun to walk in that room. And that's kind of where I had the realization, like this coaching, teaching thing could really be for me. And uh, so I think honestly, from then on, I knew once I'm done playing, I'm going to coach, I'm going to coach, I'm going to teach. Both my parents were teachers, um, but I just never realized what level, you know, I thought I'd be a high school coach probably forever. Yeah. And you were a high school coach, right? When you started your career. Yeah. So how, how did, how did it start? Like take us through that journey a little bit, high school coach. And then I, I've heard a little bit of a story of like you handwritten notes to every, every oh, yeah. coach. Oh yeah. I got to hear this. So, yeah, I was an elementary PE teacher, yeah. right? So I would teach elementary PE during the day, and then I'd drive over to Park Hill South High School. I'd normally start there in the morning for weights, uh, go teach, you know, my teaching job, and then I'd go do weights or football practice after school mm -hmm. uh, every day. And I just kind of always had this hunger to do a little bit more than what you do in high school, right? I really wanted to be, you know, all ball. Yeah. And whatever level you're at, you always think that the level above you, well, they just, all they do is football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now being at college, you realize all the other fires that people put <laughs> yeah. out and the recruiting and all the other pieces that go with it. But yeah, I had a desire early now playing at an NAIA school where I didn't have a lot of connections. I didn't know anybody really in college football. So I started writing letters. My wife would give me a hard time. You know, I'd come home from work and I'd pull up, you know, my, my computer and I just start going through every staff in the nation, like literally, and I'd email and uh, just trying to try to make connections and honestly didn't get a lot of responses. So, um, you know, I've told this story a lot of times, but eventually, you know, um, a guy named Keith Patterson, who I'd met at a, at a coaching clinic down at Tulsa, um, gave me a call back. They had just, Todd Graham and his staff had just taken the job at Pitt. Yeah. This is back when we were recruiting yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, he said, hey, we might have something for you. I'll call you after signing day. Mm -hmm. And signing day kind of came and went. I didn't get a call, but I told my wife, like, this is the first time that I've actually had a Division One coach say, hey, we might have a shot, yeah. might have a job for you. So 
so then I drove out to Pittsburgh. You know, I went and taught that day and I got my car and I drove to Pittsburgh and waited to meet with the staff. And there's a lot of details to that. I mean, it's a long drive. I remember changing into a suit at a gas station before I got there. <laughs> they weren't even there. Right? They weren't there. Yeah. So when I showed up, I'm, I'm waiting in the lobby for several hours and a guy named Eric Thatcher comes up. He's a good friend today, works for the uh, 49ers. But you know, he comes up and he goes, oh, yeah, all the coaches are at Happy Valley. They're at Penn State for a clinic. So they weren't even there. So I stayed the night that night, waited to meet with Keith the next day. He said, well, I got a job for you. Um, it's 800 bucks a month. You know, I have a wife and two kids right now at this point and a mortgage. And I said, yeah, it makes sense. Let's go. Yeah. So um, that was the start. Drove, you know, drove back, basically resigned from my job there and, um, you know, in Missouri and then came right back out and started as a GA there at Pitt. How did you make a name for yourself as a GA? You know, I, this has really been for me in every role that I've ever been. I try to be the absolute, I, one, it's a competition every day when I walked in the building, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it didn't matter what role I was in, I wanted to make sure that I was the best one in that role compared, comparative to everybody else in that role. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing that I embraced really early is I'm going to do all the jobs that nobody wants to do. Mm -hmm. And what you find is everybody wants to game plan, everybody wants to watch film, but there's not that many guys that want to pour a cup of coffee. There's not that many guys yeah. that want to put together the... Uh, scouting report. There's not that many guys that want to create, you know, uh, a great playbook. Mm -hmm. And so I started by saying, okay, what's the jobs that nobody wants to do? And I'm going to be the best at it. And I always felt like you wanted to make yourself, put yourself in a position where if that guy leaves for another job, he has to take you because you're the guy that knows how to do it. <laughs> um, you're the guy that knows how he likes his call sheet built. Yeah. built. And that's kind of what I did. That's what I really, really focused on. And I, and I didn't realize at that point how much ball I didn't know, mm -hmm. right? I thought I knew football, but I didn't really know football at all. And I had a lot to learn. So I tried to shut up and listen whenever, um, you know, guys with a lot more experience yeah. uh, were talking in the room. And then I tried to work really hard. I mean, I, I spent a lot of nights up in the office. I, it was sleepless uh, yeah. nights, but, you know, you have to separate yourself in some way. And you made a reputation from what I've heard as a great recruiter, even when you were a GA, you were focused on recruiting. I think that's where a lot of GAs went wrong. I remember when I was at Arizona State and I was a GA, people talking about you and saying, you know, when Dan Lanning was a GA, like he was a dynamic recruiter. That's what you have to be if you want to. And I, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to recruit them. Yeah. Uh, what went into that? Because I feel like in college football, a lot of people don't realize how big of a part that, of the job that is. And as a GA, you can make an impact on it. Huge impact. And, I, you know, for me, I think the thing I realized really quick is, all right, you work hard, um, you, you care about it, you, you're learnable and adaptable, all those things are great, but nobody's gonna hire a young coach because of what he knows, yeah. right? They're gonna hire a young, no, yeah. a young coach because of the value he brings to the program. Well, the number one way, way to bring value in college football is player, mm -hmm. player acquisition. So, you know, I started early. What I kind of did when I got to Arizona State is I looked at the map and they give these, you know, these maps of this coach has this area, this coach mm -hmm. has this area. Well, I found the map and it, nobody had, <laughs> Nobody had Kansas, right? So I was like, I'm going to be the best recruiter in Kansas JCs. And yeah. I'd work the phone every single night. And I never got to go on the road. You know, as a GA, you don't get to go on the road. So I always had a great excuse of why, hey, I can't come see you, but I'm going to send, yeah. you know, this coach to come see you. Um, I'm, I'm going to get by there next time. But just selling yourself every day as a coach mm -hmm. um, that can make an impact. And, you know, I ended up signing a couple guys that started for us there at, at uh, ASU. And I think down the road where that paid dividends is Mike Norvell gets his first head coaching job. And he says, okay. Dan was on the other side of the ball, but I know he's going to sign players. Mm -hmm. I know he's going to work hard. And, you know, later on, uh, uh, Kirby Smart hiring you because he knows yeah. what you're going to do from that. But for me, that's the, always the number one way you can provide value in college football is, is bringing players on board. Yeah. The, during that time where you were GA to ASU, from Pitt, you, also, you mentioned you have a family. I mean, you're hardly making any money. Like, yeah. as a GA, you're, you're making, like, 1000 bucks a month, maybe. Like, I had a good I school. I got pay raise when I got to, when I was a GA at Alabama, I was getting 1200 bucks a month. Yeah, okay. That was good. I had three kids. Yeah. Um, what was that like? I mean. Well, it didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It didn't make a lot of sense at all. And I'm just grateful my wife never said no. Yeah. You know, we, we always, one, I always save for opportunities. So when I stopped teaching elementary PE, I pulled out my teaching retirement from uh, Missouri. That was $18,000, right? Wow. So that, like, that kind of made ends meet for a while. And then I, you know, went to um, Arizona State, and I was kind of still living off of, like, I was piecing that together. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to Sam Houston State, I started making money. I was a DB coach, and it wasn't six figures, but I had enough to support my family. But even there, I was saving in case another opportunity came up again to where I, I wasn't going to make enough. Yeah. So it was never about, like, how much you're making. It was always about where can I get the best opportunity? I always chased opportunities, not the dollars. So whenever I got a chance to be a GA at Alabama, I had a, a little nest egg 
So like, hey, I can make it 12 months on this. You know, we're, it might be ramen noodles, right? We, I mean, we were on EBT. We didn't have insurance, right? That's all true. Um, But it was worth it for the opportunity to get, you know, get around people that matter and, yeah. and good coaching programs. And that means that your family and your wife had the belief that you would figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. She did. I'm lucky she did because I mean, it was really 2011. My first full-time coaching job, you know, in division one football was 2016. Mm-hmm. So it was 11, 12, 13, 14, fast 15 rise, before, right? you know, before I ever really yeah. was making any money that could yeah. take care of things. Yeah. So how did the process then from G at Alabama to the, full-time job at Georgia. What, what was that process like? Because I heard a story today, talked to your defense coordinator, who said that they were trying to keep you at Alabama and you went, to, you went with, with Coach Smart. Yeah, so there's actually a stop in between there. Um, so I was, with, I was with Coach Smart, Coach LaPoyle. That, I mean, that staff was an amazing staff. We had a bunch of, yeah. you know, like tons of head coaches that were sitting around that table with Nick mm-hmm. every day. And Kirby left to go take the job at Georgia. And this is the same time Mike Norvell got the job at Memphis. So I went with Mike to Memphis. And I was the inside linebackers coach there for a couple years. Um, and then there was some movement on Kirby's staff. And, he, you know, we talked and obviously we're familiar with each other. And I got hired as the outside linebackers coach there at Georgia. Well, at the same time, there was, That's you know, a potential opening there at Alabama. But at this point, I'd already committed. You know, yeah. my, my chips were already on the table. And <laughs> I was all in with uh, Coach Smart and, and Georgia. So uh, I've got to be around really, really good people, but it's crazy the connections you'll make that lead yeah. to opportunities later on. Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, the keeping a list of people you're going to hire as, when, as you progress in your coaching career. During your time throughout the ranks of college football, how were you preparing to be a head coach? Were you keeping a coach's manual? Did, were you, you know, keeping notes on how you're going to handle discipline, how you're going to handle academics when you got the, your opportunity? Yeah. Um, I think I always, you know, took good notes as far as a guy sitting on the outside of the room, you know, as, okay, this is how he did it. I would do it the same or not. You know, I think I've, I've learned to be myself in this process, but ultimately whatever job I was in, I was always preparing myself for the next one by one, doing a good job in the job I had, right. Trying to make sure I was the best at, at what I was doing. But you know, what Mel Tucker was a great guy to learn from um, when I was there at Georgia is, you know, him as the defensive coordinator, every time, you know, he'd make a call, I'd kind of go back after the game and say, okay, how would I, how would I have done that? Yeah. And uh, I learned a lot from, you know, one of the biggest things you take away from this Saban tree is quality control, mm-hmm. right? And really evaluating after a game, you know, what are the notes that you made after the game? What, how could we have prepared different? What were our preparation errors? For me, it was the same thing when I'm talking about job preparation, like, okay, how did Kirby handle this? How did Nick handle this? And mm-hmm. how would I have handled it different? You know, that's something I think I always took, you know, detailed notes on that yeah. kind of prepare me for down the road. Yeah. Talking about that journey to, to get here, I feel like anyone who's had as much success as, you, as you've had, you catch a break at some point, right? Like something just goes your way and, and you're like, man, yeah, I was grinding and like now I see the light where it's going to end up. What was that moment for you? That's hard. I mean, because there, there's been several of them, right? Yeah. There's several moments where I'm like, okay, I can make it. They're either being on the wrong end of it where you're, maybe you're not having that much success, but you see this guy that made it and you're like, I can do that. <laughs> if can this do guy it. can make it, I can make it. And I had a lot of those moments early in my career. You know, later in my career, I mean, I just, so many opportunities where you're just pinching yourself that you're like, I can't believe I'm in this moment. Mm-hmm. Being, a, being a graduate assistant in Alabama with that staff that we had was like yeah. extremely special. You know, might give me an opportunity at Memphis. You know, it's one of the best quality of life jobs I think I've ever had being at Memphis where you knew you were going to win. You get to coach really hard, tough-nosed players. Um, you know, that was really, you know, a lot of fun. And then getting to go to Georgia and coach, you know, some of the best of the absolute best around some of the best of the best, being in a national championship game, there's nothing that really compares to, to those feelings. Yeah. Uh, during that journey, you mentioned your time at Memphis, a uh, story that's been talked about a lot. Your wife is diagnosed with cancer. And you, you've talked about it a decent amount. I've seen interviews you've done. But my question I want to ask you about, was during that time, what did you learn or how did that time impact who you are now and how you coach now? Yeah, it, it changed me a lot. You know, up until that point in my career, I would say that I was really, um, I, don't wanna, I don't necessarily say selfish, but I was very ambitious. Mm-hmm. And every job that I had taken, every move we had made, it was really about me and advancing my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I certainly felt like I was doing everything I could to be a good dad and a good husband, but that was probably secondary to football. Mm-hmm. Right up into that point in my career. And when your wife gets diagnosed with cancer and it's the kind of cancer that, that can be the end, mm-hmm. it makes you reset your, your goals and yeah. your values. And becoming an elite dad, an elite husband moved way up the board for me. And really football became secondary. And what I realized 
is when you make your priorities the right priorities, all these, all the other things can happen. Yeah. And you know, that reset for me, you know, I, I don't know that I ever would have coached at a Georgia or never w- would have ever been in a national championship game uh, again, or sent guys to the NFL if I hadn't have restructured my focus. Mm-hmm. And when you care about people, and you make people priority number one, I think the rest kind of takes care of itself. And that's probably what a lot of that process did for me. Yeah. Uh, I imagine it gives you kind of what you just said, like a gift of perspective too, where yeah. like all the, all the little things that you get so, so stressed about, right, with football, it makes them seem very small in the big scheme of things, right? Yeah, fit and counter isn't near as important <laughs> anymore. You know, there's a lot of things, like I said, it was a big reset for me. And, um, you know, I'm glad that we experienced that adversity. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but it, it certainly reshaped me. You have a really unique balance, I think, as a head coach. Not that I've spent a lot of time around you, but I, from the outside and seeing you today, you have a, a unique balance of being young and cool and hip and like the players like you, but also being extremely tough and disciplined and uh, having great culture. I think a lot of times young coaches kind of get put in like one or the other, right? You get in the bucket of like, he's just kind of a cool guy that the players like and he recruits well, or he's a ball guy that's tough. How do you balance both of those and kind of playing in both those lanes? Because I, I think you do a pretty good job of it. Yeah, I think you have to be yourself, yeah. right? Um, but I, one, one of the things that really helped me is I, I have three boys. I, I treat that, I treat our players in our program no different than I want that. I want discipline for my sons. I'd want yeah. people to have a high standard of performance, but I also want somebody that cares and can put their arm around them and can relate to them. And if you're on either side of that spectrum, you're going to miss out on a part of that. If you yeah. don't um, take the time to know who your players are, get to know what makes them tick, um, I think you're going to lose sight of a lot of that. Yeah. What's the foundation of your culture here or your philosophy as a as you build this program well, we talk about our dna traits a lot yeah. um and that was something when i got here it wasn't like okay these it wasn't like bulletin board material we're just going to slap this up in the locker room and this is who we're going to be it was we, we took four months of really sitting back and saying okay what are our strengths what are our weaknesses what what matters and what's going to equate the wins and success here at oregon so those dna traits are connection growth toughness uh, and sacrifice mm-hmm. um and that's kind of the things that i think you know, if you look at our pro, if you're watching us on game day and you say, okay, that team, you know, what are the traits that describe them? I hope that's what you see. I hope you see a tough team. I hope you see a team, you know, when it comes to sacrifice, it's probably one of the hardest ones for mm. people in today's day and age about, you know what, I'm okay with us winning, even though I didn't have 10 catches, yeah. right? Or I didn't get to be the guy in the blitz package. And that's something you see show up every single day. And then connection is, is one of the biggest pieces for us of you're going to do more for a guy that you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sitting in, in this room, in this team room, we had guys in the front of this room that cry, you know, in front of each other because they're sharing stories that they've never shared with anybody in this room. You'll never do that unless you take the time to peel back the layers and talk about something else besides football. Yeah. So um, I think those things really stick out. And then growth's about, like, we're not going to stay the same, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you've probably heard me say this week, it's not bye week, it's growth week, yeah. right? How are we getting better? What are we improving on? And yeah. um, hopefully those are the traits that show up in our culture. Yeah. Before we get to the pod, I want to tell you all about our newest sponsor, Athletic Greens. And let me tell you, when I found out about this sponsor, I was fired up because I've been using Athletic Greens for years, and I want to promote to you guys the things I actually use. I love Athletic Greens. As a former Division One athlete, I've tried countless supplements, and recently, my nutrition and my health has become a bigger deal for me as I get farther away from my playing career. And let me tell you, Athletic Greens is the real deal. Has me feeling healthy and energized every single day. With as much as I'm on the road, traveling, shooting podcasts, it's hard to have a healthy diet, hard to have healthy nutrition, hard for me to get my vitamins and minerals every single day. My doctor even told me that last time I saw him. But with Athletic Greens, I get 75 plus vitamins, minerals, and a bunch of other healthy things. I don't even know what they are, but I know they're good for you. And when I wake up every single day now, I feel energized. My digestion has never been better and I'm ready to attack each and every day because of Athletic Greens and AG1. So if you want to take ownership of your health like I am right now, try AG1 today at drinkag1.com slash next up and you get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs when you go to my link tryag1.com slash next up. And guys, all of you who support this podcast, you guys supporting our sponsors helps me a ton. So please go support AG1 and support next up through the process and optimize your health and nutrition today. Drinkag1.com slash next up. Check it out. I want to ask you about, you've been around some great head coaches. I want to ask you about each of them and tell me the thing, the number one thing you learned from, from each of these guys. Uh, We'll start with Todd Graham. Passion. I mean, the, every single day this guy came to work with juice and energy. Um, 
you know, he, he is hands-on, like wanted to be involved um, in everything, in every facet of the program he touched. Um, I thought he also was one of the best that I've ever seen about, you know, creating a message, you know, clear, concise message and, and spark. Right? Yeah. He, brought, he brought a spark. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about him from the people at Arizona State. They all talked about him and, and the discipline and how that place was run. Uh, Mike Norvell. Extremely impressive offensive mind. You know, he was a guy that, you know, at that time, that's when, you know, Sophia got sick and yeah. he cares. Like, he cares about people. You know, he, he wouldn't let me come to work. When Sophia first got diagnosed with cancer, he hired a sitter for our family and he wouldn't let me wouldn't let me come to work so we had somebody help us like making meals i think that speaks to like mike's heart yeah um but going against him on game day or in practice every day like this guy's super innovative you know from a schematic standpoint able to adapt i think he you know utilizes his personnel really well um and, he, and again, work ethic. The guy works extremely hard. Yeah, yeah. Kirby's smart. When you talk about passion, like Kirby's as high as anybody there. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the most intelligent people I've ever been around. He can see something once and memorize it forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember being a GA at um, Alabama and he's saying, hey, go pull up lead zone in 2012 versus LSU. Like we fit that the way I want to fit. Like he's he's got that <laughs> kind of memory and intelligence. Um, he's a real person, right? Like he can... He, he's a great dad. He's a, you know, a great husband. And, um, but he, he just, there's not a lot that that guy doesn't do right. Yeah. And uh, I'm really grateful that I got the opportunity to be around him. I think he learned a ton from Coach Saban and was able to build off of that. You know, I think he took a lot of that footprint and then mm-hmm. said, okay, wait, we can do this a little bit different and enhance it. And I think that shows up every day in his yeah. program. Yeah. Last but not least, Coach Saban. I mean, the definition of consistency. Yeah. Right. You know, at times I'm, you, you almost feel like you're dealing with a robot because of how, you know, methodical he is in his approach, you know, doesn't get flustered, you know, watching the demands that he puts on his program and how he was able to bring that every single day. You know, I always, when I was there, I always said, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow at, mm. you know, 7 a.m. in Tuscaloosa and Nick Saban's going to be in that office at 730 and he's yeah. going to be eating the same snack in the morning and you're going to have this staff meeting. But the level of consistency in his approach that you got to see every single day and then the decision making that he would make, you know, begin to be a fly on that wall and watch how his process of we've got to fix this. How are we going to make it better? Mm-hmm. I always felt like, you know, him and Kirby both, they didn't care who you were. If you had some sort of value that you could add to the program, like they wanted to know what you knew. If you were yeah. a janitor in the corner of the room and you had a blitz package that was going to be good versus this team, yeah. like he wanted to see it. Yeah. And uh, I always valued that. It didn't really matter who the person was. If you could bring value to the organization, he wanted to tap yeah. into it. Yeah. I know one thing about college football, and it's that you better have a quarterback if you're going to win games. And when you got here, you went and got a quarterback in Bo Nix. Um, my question is, what's the one thing? A lot of people talk about Bo, right? Been yeah. around for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, what's the one thing about Bo that fans or most people don't don't know or realize? I, I don't know um, if they see how competitive this guy is. I'm talking about, like, if you came out and watched our practices, this guy gets upset when there's an incompletion. Like, the the passion that Bo has to compete, and it doesn't matter if he's playing against our guys or the other team, like, he wants to go create success and have success. Um, but he's extremely competitive. And then, you know, I think people are getting a glimpse into what kind of person this guy is. I mean, he's a special human being from a standpoint of, you know, I feel like I got to be better when I'm around Bo, right? <laughs> and like, oh, man, I can't say that. Bo's here, right? Yeah. Like, he may, he holds me to a higher standard. That's yeah. what kind of guy he is. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see the rest of the year he has. And uh, you guys have been doing a great job on the Heisman campaign for him. It's, it's been fun to see the billboards and stuff. So I'm excited to see it. As a Big Ten guy, I got to talk about the move to the Big Ten. And I, I'm, I'm fired up for it. I think it's a great fit. I think it's great for the Big Ten Conference and college football as a whole, just the visibility standpoint. How did that whole process go down? How much are you hearing about it? Or are you just getting a call and they're saying, hey, we're going to the Big Ten? <laughs> um, there was certainly some communication. But I think for, for several weeks, like everyone, we, yeah. you know, you're a little bit on the sideline, you know, just hitting the refresh on button. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and seeing what, you know, comes up. But there was certainly some discussion down the stretch. And I think that this move is something we're extremely excited about. Obviously, it's a year away, so we're not too worried about it now. But for the landscape of Oregon and who we are, it's really, it's, it's dynamic. It's a game changer because you, you know you're ensuring your ability to be in one of the best conferences in college football, if not the best in college football now with uh, us and some of these other teams in there. And then the landscape that we recruit at, you know, we're, in, we're a team that recruits across the nation. Yeah. So there's value in being in all, 
every time zone in the U.S. And there's value in getting to travel to games um, that can be, you know, different distances away because of the landscape it hits for us. Yeah, uh, I, I know I'm asking about this move in the middle of the season, which I know is annoying for a coach, but, but I got one more question about it. This job has changed since when you took it from a, the competition standpoint. Like, it's, it's a different job because of the move to the Big Ten. Will anything, will, will your strategy or anything from a personnel scheme standpoint need to change because of the move to the Big Ten, you think? You know, that's something that I think we'll have to continue to assess. Um, you know, I, I know there's some big, I know there's some, <laughs> some big boy ball um, yeah. in the Big Ten, but we see some big boy ball out here too. Um, I don't think, I think our approach will stay really consistent and honestly, yeah. you know, very similar. Um, I think maybe the Big Ten's approach might have to change some for, you know, what Oregon's bringing as well. But I think it goes back to what I said from the beginning. Why, why do you come to Oregon? Because Oregon's always been innovative. Mm-hmm. They've always been on the cutting edge. So as we, as it, I mean, college football is about adapting. Yeah. And as we adapt, you know, it's nice to know that we're going to a place uh, in a landscape where you're able to adapt. Yeah. Speaking of the innovation, the relationship with Nike here is so big. Everyone talks about it. Uh, this place is beautiful, large in part, to Phil Knight and Nike. What are the specific advantages or maybe surface level it's easy to see right like the nike backs oregon it's cool a lot of money but like what are the things that actually impact day-to-day the success of this program with that nike relationship well i think one one of the biggest things that maybe gets overseen is all the opportunities that's created for our players after football right and then we have a you know young man on our team that did an internship there's only two people in you know, in the nation, they get to be part of this Nike internship. Well, guess what? He plays football for us, and he was part of it. You know, you look at the jerseys that our guys wear on the field, everybody recognizes that Nike made them. I don't know if everybody realizes an, a former Oregon football player is the one designing them. You know, the same with the, the cleats that we wear. You know, Metro McGraw played um, football here at Oregon, but then he went to go design those cleats at Nike, and there's millions, not millions, but there's tons of stories like that about the opportunities that were created because of Nike's affiliation with yeah. our university. Yeah. All the changes in college football, NIL transfer portal. When you were making your uh, your preparation to be a head coach, you weren't preparing for NIL in the transfer portal, right? Like you were, that wasn't part of it. How has the portal uh, really combined with NIL, because they're one of the same now, changed your approach to your strategy, roster management. I mean, it's changed probably your staff structure. Like, how, how's it impacted your strategy as a whole? Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's about finding people that fit your needs uh, as a program. And you have to realize that those guys can make big impact quick, right? Um, it's It's been a big part of what we do. You look at our team, you're going to yeah. see, you know, we want to be a team that always develops from the ground up. We want to go sign great high school players. But to make changes quick, you have to go be able to get players that can make an impact quick. And Portal players have proven that they can do that. They've been really good for us. Um, we've proven to be a great second home for guys, too. I think it matters. You know, where it shows up now is finishing second in recruiting sometimes isn't a bad thing anymore because yeah. you can end up getting guys on the rebound. <laughs> um, you know, on the same note, like I said, you want to develop your roster from the bottom up. You want to be able to go sign great high school players. So it's a, it's a fine balance, right? I, I never want to be a guy that lives uh, only in the portal. I never, I don't think you can be a team competitive in college football right now and only live in, in the high school ranks either. Um, you know, and if you are, it's going to take time. Yeah. Well, the one thing we know in college football is you don't have time. You don't have time. You, yeah. you got to win now. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, we've adapted well to it. Um, mm-hmm. And luckily becoming a, a first-year head coach last year, you know, it didn't feel like being a new coach because every coach was trying to figure it out. It wasn't just the new guys. Yeah, that's a good know? point. I feel like one of the hardest parts about having so much roster turnover and using the portal like you have is the culture part of it. Like, how do you build a culture when you have guys coming from different programs, but you've clearly, clearly done a good job? How have you, has that been like a, something that you're thinking about? Like, we got to make sure our culture is good because we're bringing in so many guys from different programs? Yeah, I think the portal has opened up every coach's eyes to what's, what's your locker room feel like, right? What's that experience like? You know, for us on our team, every single player on our team has been to my house multiple times, right? You have to create those real-life connections and opportunities outside of ball. You know, we do a lot of community service here. Uh, something I wanted to do anyway, but I think – you know, how are you creating connection outside of just football um, and finding those moments? You know, some of our guys got to go sledding this past year you know, for the first time, first time they've ever seen snow. Those are some <laughs> of those events that you create outside of ball that I think makes, you know, the group tight and helps people that are just getting here get, you know, get acclimated quick. Um, so I think that's a big, big part of it is creating opportunities outside of ball. I mentioned those changes in college football that I own the portal. There's also a lot of talk about like what the future of it looks like and how what should be allowed, what shouldn't be. Does the federal legislation legislation get involved? What's a, a change that you want to see in college football that you think would benefit the sport moving forward? 
I'll be honest, Adam, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what I would change. It's more about adapting to what exists. I think that everyone right now is seeing the positives and the negatives of a lot of rule changes. So, you know, maybe it's worth just taking the time to take a deep breath before we change a rule and talk about the implications of what could happen next, right? Because yeah. if you change something, there's going to be a positive and there's going to be a negative. Um, and I don't know that we all know what those are going to look like unless we can really sit down and, yeah. and take the time to think it's it a, through. That's a good point. Don't, don't, don't start changing everything all of a sudden. I want to ask about your offer and evaluation process here. It's a big part of every program, and I feel like every program does a little bit differently. Uh, how they're deciding who they want to go after and acquire from a talent standpoint. What's your process when you're offering scholarships? Are you approving every offer? How's that work for your program? Yeah, I, you know, I put a lot of onus on our position coaches, but certainly it makes it to me. There's not a guy that comes into our program that I don't evaluate and say, yes, let's do that, right? Now, the early uh, process of evaluating guys to start, you have to throw a wide net, you know, and you have to throw a wide net. And what people don't realize at times, there, there can be an offer, right? But that offer doesn't stand forever, yeah. right? That offer can disappear based on, okay, what are you doing for your team? What kind of teammate are you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you continuing to develop and grow? Because there's a lot more now in, in football of projections. Like, okay, I think this guy has the size. He has the ability. He has the um, the intelligence to be a great player. But if he stops developing, then that might not be a fit for your program anymore. Yeah. And um, things change, right? So, you know, our process starts with a position coach it starts with area coaches um but there's not going to be a guy that that we pull the trigger on that i'm not aware of and and uh you know am involved in that process when it comes to recruiting when it comes to evaluation how do you balance the uh desire to take a guy with great length and athleticism but maybe doesn't show everything on film that you want to see but you're like man this guy could be great if we coach him the right way versus you know the guy who's maybe a little not as long a little bit shorter not as not as twitchy but shows great intensity and effort on film that's a great balance for football coaches like how do you view that personally yeah i think part of it's based on position right there's some positions where you can have more developmental players than others um there's some players where instincts are a lot higher premium and how they you know uh can can tackle in space you know there's some of those things that if you don't bite as a puppy, you're not going to bite as a dog. If you don't see physicality on film from a young guy, yeah. it's going to be hard to ever develop that. Now, you can get better at it, but um, so there's innate traits really at each position that you look for. And I think, you know, what you're talking about as far as developmental guys, you know, that's one of the things the portals probably hurt is guys yeah. coming to programs early and having three years to become great players or develop into great players. You don't see as much of that anymore because coaches are making the decision, why would I take the developmental guy when I can go get this guy that was a starter at this program, you know, somewhere else across the country. So, you know, we still want to find guys that we can develop, but to me, it's based a little bit more on position, you know, D line, you're going to develop some of those guys. Um, You know, there's some positions where development's not going to occur as much. Yeah. I want to ask about this season a little bit. You guys are rolling right now, feeling good. A lot of talk about Oregon and what you guys are doing. What's maybe the couple areas you still want to see this team improve? Well, I mean, we did a little bit of it better um, this past week, but I want to be a team that finishes and wins in the fourth quarter. That's something that we really assessed, you know, in the offseason for us last year. We had, we had some tight games that we can, you know, a couple that we came out on top of, but a couple we didn't. So being a team that finishes in the fourth, I think that's really um, big, you know, starting fast. You know, I want to see us have success in our openers offensively and then on, transversely on defense, be able to get a stop early. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of growth from our team. Like, I don't, I don't feel like we're the same. You know, each year is a different year, and we're not yeah. at all the same team that we were last year. Um, but it's maintaining that consistency. We, we studied the book Good to Great this offseason, and one of the, the things that we've talked about a lot is that 20-mile march. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have to get up and walk 100 miles today. We just need to walk 20, and then we yeah. got to do it again tomorrow even when we don't feel like it. So just yeah. being consistent in our approach and continuing to make, you know, small marginal gains. If mm-hmm. each guy can make a small gain uh, in one area on, on this team, you know, it's going to lead to exponential gains for yeah. our team. When you build out your staff as a coach, um, I was just thinking of this as you were talking about uh, some of the details you want to improve on. What do you look for in a coach? Like wh- when, you're, when you're looking at position coach or a coordinator and you're hiring, wh- what are the things that you're like, man, I, I better – is it energy? Is it communication skills? Is it recruiting? Is it ball? Like, what are the things you're looking for? Number one to me is relationships. Yeah. Number two is development. 
right? So I, I want to bring guys into our program that believe in people, right? Mm -hmm. That care about people. Cause I don't think one, you can ever be a part of a team. I don't think you can row the boat in the same direction as everybody else. If you don't care about people, yeah. um, development to me goes back to like my background as a coach, to be a great coach, you have to be a great teacher, mm -hmm. right? And it really doesn't matter what I know. They're not going to play, let me play a single snap this year for the duck, yeah. right? It's really about what your players know and what they can execute. So mm -hmm. I want to find people that are great teachers that when you walk into our meeting rooms, I'm hoping you're seeing it and you're like, man, that's like a glacier clinic. Like these guys are like, they're, they're piecing together something special because of the way we teach. Everybody learns in a different way. And then, like I said, relationships, you know, people say, I want to hire a great recruiter. I don't want to hire a great recruiter. I want to hire a guy that's great at relationships, yeah. right? Because guess what? That guy is going to be a guy that's a great recruiter yeah. just because of that trait. Yeah. During your journey, we talked about what was the, uh, was there a tough job interview you were on? Like what, what's the job interview like with Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or? Yeah, well, I was interviewing for, with, with, uh, Coach Saban. I never in my wildest dreams anticipated him asking me my philosophy on punt and what I would thought, you know, as I was interviewing as a GA and he's asking yeah. me my philosophy on punt and what, you know, what I thought the right approach was on punt. At this point, they were still running like the NFL style, yeah. you know, spread punt. Uh, and I kind of talked a little bit about, you know, shield punt as far as having more guys. So you had an answer? Field. I had an answer. <laughs> I don't know if it's the answer he's looking for. Um, but I had an answer. But that was just, you know, I always appreciated uh, interviewing with guys like Nick and Kirby and knowing that you weren't going to have the answers to the test when you go in for this. It's not, you're not going to pull up a PowerPoint slide and say, hey, let me tell you about my family. Yeah. And then here's where I worked. And this is what I did here. It was, no. It's you, it's the whiteboard, it's the film, and just go talk. And uh, so those are, those are the you know, interviews I always enjoy. Yeah. We talked about some of the points in your career where uh, you know, some adversity hit or like you know, the, the story about your wife or some of the things when you were a GA and going, I talk a lot on this show about adversity and overcoming stuff and players and coaches. What's a moment where as an on-field coach that you, or a coordinator that you face some adversity and then how'd you overcome it? Man, I've had a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, early in my career, I remember, you know, like I said, I was a high school coach. I was at Pitt and our scout team had, I was running the scout team. Toughest, that's the toughest job in football. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that the, the day uh, practice had just ended and I remember Coach Graham saying, man, I, I'm sorry. It's not your fault. We have the worst scout team coordinator in the nation. Our, we we're going to get it fixed. But he was like, it was a direct shot at me. And I remember just like, I don't know if I ever felt lower in my life. And like, man, I don't know. But I think anytime I faced a moment of adversity, I mean, it could have been my, my uh, second year uh, calling it at Georgia and we lost to uh, Florida. And I was embarrassed and hurt for our team. You know, it's 2020 um, COVID, but like I remember like yesterday, like how frustrated I was with myself that I didn't get our team prepared to go play. I think the thing that's always fueled me is the fact that I don't want to live with regret. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to live with what ifs. I want to go attack it. I want to go improve. Um, so in each one of those moments where something didn't necessarily go right for me, it was never thinking about like, well, feeling sorry for yourself. It was always thinking about like, I'm not going to regret this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as a lesson. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to make sure there will never be a game where I don't have an answer for how can I make sure I get a cloud corner into the boundary? This route is not going to beat me anymore. Yeah. And it's allowed me to have a different approach and always really carry the what ifs. I think great coaches, they have, they have the ability to adjust to all the what ifs that might show up and not just talking football. I'm talking about the what ifs that show up in your locker room or away from the field. Uh, the experiences you can never prepare for, I think you kind of get ready to adapt to those changes. So funny you mentioned the GA uh, scouts. You know, that's a hard job. Nothing man. more humiliating than holding the binder of the of the cards and it's not going right. It's a hard <laughs> job, man. It's a hard job. It's, but it's it's the best job for anybody that wants to be a coach. You shouldn't be allowed to skip that step. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's you learn a lot. You man. learn a lot. Yeah. You learn a lot. And when you draw cards, or you, you know, you talk about learning football. Like the best thing I ever did as far as learning football was being the guy that had to draw every single. Uh, diagram or break down every play at Alabama. You know, that's how yeah. you learn the Alabama defense. That's how you learn. Like when you have to be the guy that's drawing every card, you better know how they yeah. line up. Yeah. Um, so that, that certainly helped me. And I think it's a great, it's as a young coach, one of the only times that you're like in front of a unit, like you're running the scout team. That's right. like you got coach, you got people reporting to you that that's you're right. in charge of. Um, that makes it pretty cool. I want to ask you if, uh, it, you guys are having a great season and I don't want to talk too much in the future, but if this place is if Oregon's to win a national championship, which I know is your goal, what are the one or two things that still need to happen? 
Well, just, you know, no, no off, no off days. Yeah. Right. And, and that consistent approach, I'm talking about that 20 mile March. I think the resources exist here. I think we have got phenomenal players, um, but I've been a part of a lot of teams that have great players, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be that ability to sacrifice down the stretch and whatever's needed, right? Are you yeah. going to be able to give that? Are you going to give what's needed when uh, your best is needed? And it might involve you, but it might not. Yeah. And us being able to lay down and sacrifice in those moments to get the ultimate goal, I think that's that's yeah. going to be the secret. Yeah. Last couple of things I got for you. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received. Or given, or any, any motivating piece of advice. <laughs> Yeah, that's a hard question. I mean, as, as I, I guess I've just gotten a lot of great advice over the years. Um, I'm trying to think of something specific. You know, Co- Coach Graham was gave me some good advice early on. He said, if this, you know, if this old man can rattle you, if he can take your confidence, if you let him steal your confidence, then, you know, what, what are you really allowing to happen? Yeah. And I think learning that early that, you know, you can fail, but still have confidence in your yeah. approach. Um, but learning, you know, early on that, you know, you're not always going to have success learning through that adversity is maybe one of the biggest uh, keys. And then I think from Coach Smart, I learned um, and really Coach Saban both that you can learn as much from a win as a loss. You know, I always was enthralled and, and in awe whenever we could come in from a game that we just had a shutout. And you would have thought we lost the game because they were able to see all the ways that people would attack us in the future if we don't fix this problem, if we don't fix this. So being able to learn a lot from wins, not mm-hmm. just losses. Um, and then, uh, again, not, not letting anybody ever take your confidence. Yeah. When, uh, when your players talk about you, what do you want them to say? He cares. Um, just that he cares and that, you know, ultimately, I would never ask them to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I want them to see that, that I, I want to have that same approach um, that I'm asking them, the sacrifices I'm asking them to make, I want to make the same ones. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, engagement and the attention to detail and the focus that I want them to have. I want them to see that same focus for me. Yeah. Last thing I got for you. I, I end every podcast with this question. I think it's important. What's your why? What, what's the reason you, you grind like you do every day? For me, I mean, certainly this is the, what I would tell you reshaped over my career, mm-hmm. right? You know, at first it was like, all I want to do is become the best of the absolute best. I want, mm-hmm. you know, not that I need a statue, but like, I want to compete, <laughs> I want to coach the best. I want to win championships. I want to send players to the league. Um, I want to coach at the absolute highest level. At one point that was like, that was my driving force. That was my why. Um, for me now, it's certainly like to leave a legacy um, of what it means to be a coach, but also a family man, you know, that cares about, uh, people outside of, you know, outside of himself. Like I'd like people to think of me as selfless and yeah. really focused on the greater good of who, how many people I can impact that that can go on and carry a legacy. There's no better feeling in the world now than to be able to touch base with the guys that I coached eight years ago, mm-hmm. 10 years ago that are doing big things in their life. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, makes me tick. Yeah. Awesome, Coach. Well, I appreciate your time. This has been great. I appreciate you doing it during the season. I know it's a big ask. Yeah, it's no. been fun to see the success you've had, and I'm excited to see what you guys do this year. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, man. Easy, right? Yeah, easy. Cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay.